Well, if you want to find your Bibles and turn to the book of Ephesians, we are systematically making our way through this book. Uh, If you're new here, my name is Grant Call. I'm one of the pastors here. It is just a joy and a delight to have you with us this morning. One of the things we do is we take books of the Bible, we walk through it, and we are an incredibly important section. We are going to be talking about the roles in marriage, what marriage and family is to look like according to God's divine design. I think before we get started, I'd like to just lay a few ground rules. Uh, As we go through uh, these next three weeks, we got this started on this series looking at family and marriage. Um, I'm going to ask if there would be no, no, like, super loud amens, pointing of fingers, hissing, uh, no standing up and dancing on the chairs, okay? Um, I know I might be excited about certain points, but I just want to lay that in front of you. Um, I want you to also know that today we're going to be talking about the role of a godly wife, which means next week we're going to be talking about the role of a godly husband. So for you guys... Your deer blind's going to be all right, still there, still rusting out. Um, you don't need to be on your bass boat or on the golf course. And if you are, we'll, we'll find you or at least make sure this material gets to you, okay? If you are single and you are thinking about getting married, you think God might be calling you to marriage, I want you to pay, have you pay really close attention to what God has to say in his word. And whether or not you're, you're single or you're married, I want you to know that the passages that we're going to be looking at These passages not only show us about roles in marriage, they show us the greatness of God and the beauty of Christ and the church. It is a fascinating passage. But I want you to know that today, marriage is under attack. Marriage is being dismantled. There are forces in our culture that are absolutely opposed to everything that God has written and had declared in marriage. And not only that, or do we see kind of a wholesale rejection of marriage as God divinely designed it? We even find it within, quote-unquote, Christianity. And I'm not just talking about, like, liberal churches. I'm talking about churches that have historically held to the gospel, would even perhaps even identify as evangelical. But what has happened is that there has been a shift to move away to recognize that the Bible is from God. It is inerrant, meaning without error, that God and his word are the authorities in our life. And we've become smarter than God, and we'll pick and choose what we'll say and do and believe. I want you to know that marriage is being redefined, whether it be homosexual marriage or it's being rejected, or passages in Scripture like the ones we're going to come today are going to be reinterpreted. We've got new information. We need to see things this way so that we'll appease cultural authorities. I want you to know that there are and have been abuses taken from the passages that we're going to look at. And has caused untold amount of hurt and pain in individual lives, especially women. And I want you to also know that um, the neglect, the misunderstanding, or the direct defiance of what God has said in his word has also led to a lot of just disgrace to the name of Christ himself. One thing is crystal clear. When it comes to marriage and family, We've got to not only fully understand what God has revealed, we have to get it right. A lot is riding on this. I want you to know that marriage must be seen in the context 
of the Word of God. And so as we've been in chapter 5, chapter 5 begins with this, and it really sets the tone. Chapter 5, verse 1, it says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us. We are to walk in love. The whole theme of the book of Ephesians is the story of God in the lives of his people. You see, God is revealing his character, his ways, his goodness, his grace through the lives of his people. Individually, people coming from death and darkness, like Ephesians chapter 2, brought to salvation and life in Christ all by God's grace. We see the character of God and the story of God displayed in his church, which is people from every single background, Jew and Gentile, men and women, coming together equally, all in the loving grace of Jesus Christ. And what a church is to do and how we are to function. Why, it's just putting the story of God on display. And we also see the story of God on display in marriages and in families. And you see, when we come to this subject, we need to understand the roles that God has for wives and for husbands. And this morning, we're going to look at the, try to answer this question, what is the role of a godly wife? Now, you need to understand that marriage is, first of all, really all about God. Marriage isn't about your happiness or fulfilling your fantasies or just wishful thinking. I want you to know that marriage is designed by God, and it is for God. It is to reflect who God is and his character. And that's what we're going to see. I want you to know that the, the marriages, according to the Bible, are really to reflect the gospel and the goodness of God. And so let's take a look. Revelation chapter 5. I want to be in verse 21. He says, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. And then he says, wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. The first thing I want you to see is that for a godly wife, the picture of what the wife is to portray is this, a loving relationship that the church possesses with the Lord. It's a fascinating passage of Scripture because it doesn't just give us the roles and help us to understand that, but it actually shows what it is to picture. And the beauty of marriage is to reflect the beauty of God. The Bible roots roles in marriage, not in like a certain cultural context. So when this letter, Ephesians, was written, it existed in the Greco-Roman world. And in that world, there was patriarchal leadership. I want you to know, that's not where the Bible gets its roles on patriarchal leadership, nor are the roles in marriage rooted in the fall. It's kind of like this idea, and this is becoming a very common thought. No one's really challenging it. Well, the reason there are roles in marriage is because of the fall. And now all of a sudden, now you got men, husbands, they're supposed to be the head of their families, and, and wives, they're just supposed to be submissive. And this is all the result of sin and the fall. Actually, I want you to know, I want marriage is rooted in God 
and his word. Marriage is to be rooted in mutual love and respect. You're going to see that as we walk through this passage. Um, I want you to also know this. Marriage is rooted in God's creation. It's how God divinely designed life to be lived. So if you want to see that, he actually says, look at verse 31. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Where's that from? Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. Roles in marriage, that's pre-fall. That is before sin made entrance. This is how God has divinely designed relationships to work between a husband and a wife. And I want you to know it is complementary. These are complementary roles. And that is the imagery that is given to us. This is the picture that marriages portray. It is a picture of Christ loving, shepherding, sacrificing for the church, and the church reciprocating, loving, and even submitting to the Lord. And this is the picture that is being portrayed. It's a complementary relationship between the relationship of Christ and the church, and and is male and female. It is not two males or two females. It's not open to be redefined. God has clearly declared how he's divinely designed life to be lived and marriage to exist. And so marriage portrays the loving relationship between Christ and his church. But let me show you something else as we look at this text. This text also shows a priority a wife is to pursue, and that is a loving relationship with her husband that supports and submits to his shepherding servant leadership. Now, we have to ask this question, how, how is a godly wife to flourish? And I want you to know the answer to that question is you must always remember to take things in context. Context is king. Before God gives discussion on specific roles, God talks about identity, about strength, about relationship with him. And so if we are going to fulfill our roles, we must first find our sense of satisfaction, identity, purpose, peace, joy in Christ. In fact, if you don't, if you think like, well, if I could just marry that individual, or if this this girl will take my hand, life will be perfect. If you start thinking that way, and that is reinforced by so much of our music, so much of our movies, the idea is that you just got to find that perfect one, and once you get married, everything will be bliss afterwards. And what happens is like, whoa, I bought that lie. That was what the culture told me. I'm like, whoa, there's, there's something seriously missing here. What, what happened? I must have married the wrong one. No, no, no. You're going about this the wrong way. You need to, first of all, find your sense of peace, identity, purpose in Christ. And to pin those kind of expectations on another person, friends, that's not even reasonable. It's certainly not wise. And it'll absolutely fail to put another person in God's place. And so if you want to flourish as a godly wife, first thing you want to do is follow God's word. Remember what we saw, chapter 5, verse 15 through 17? Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. Or he says in verse 17, so then, do not be 
foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. You want to flourish as a godly wife? Do this. Follow God's word. And the second thing he points out, not only do you want to follow God's word, but let me tell you how you follow God's word. You are filled with his spirit. And we just keep coming back to this. Chapter 5, beginning in verse 18. What does he say? He says, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is what? Dissipation, utter waste, but be filled with the Spirit. It's a present tense verb. It is the ongoing practice. It's not a one-time deal, or when I show up at church, I'll be filled with the Spirit. No, it is the ongoing way of the life of the believer. God, would you fill me with your Spirit? And if you're like, well, what does that actually mean? I'm just giving you a definition. It's the intentional dependence and delight in God and trusting in his spirit to guide one's thoughts and behavior. God, would you fill me? I am trusting in you, your strength. I am delighting in you. And I want you to know that when, we're, when we do this, our lives will be different. Now, when do you receive the Holy Spirit? Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, after you believe the gospel of truth, You are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. But there's this ongoing refreshment, strength, renewal, revival that takes place in the human heart, in our souls, when we are filled with the Spirit. And when you are filled with the Spirit, guess what? Your life is going to look different. Like so? Like what? Well, just keep reading. He says, if you're filled with the Spirit, verse 19, your speech is going to be different. You're going to be speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Guess what? You might even start singing, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. There's something internally going inside you, a joy, a reverence, a a, a thrill, an awe of God. It's going to affect your speech. It's also going to affect your gratitude. Look at verse 20. Always giving thanks for all things, all things, the good things, the not so good things, finding God's goodness and what to be thankful for, even in the most difficult. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to God, even the Father. And notice this. You will find that you can actually have the prerequisite humility to live as God intended, verse 21, and to be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. One of the greatest gifts you can give your marriage is to be filled with the Spirit. Husbands and wives. You see, it's God's Spirit that starts really addressing the deep-seated painful issues in our life, the brokenness, the depression, the, the acts of forgiveness that we need to extend. You can't do that. But I want you to know the Spirit of God, he brings healing and wholeness, renewal, life. God brings hope where you feel hopeless. Your life is going to beat you down. But the Spirit of God is going to lift you up. And so we see that we need His Spirit. Because in order to fulfill our roles, we're going to need the humility that He provides. And notice verse 21. We're to to be subject to one another. And we do so in the fear of Christ. When you see the word fear in the Bible, it means to be like overwhelmed by, to be controlled by. We're controlled by. By Christ. There's a new Lord in your life if you're a Christian. It's no longer you. It's Jesus. It's God. It's Him. 
His word, his authority, and his spirit in your life. Your life will live, look differently. Why? Because you're now united with Christ. And so if you really want to be a godly wife, follow God's word, be filled with his spirit, and then as the, we'll see in this text here and that we've been looking at, focus on supporting and aligning with your husband's leadership. Now, in the New American Standard, maybe this is true in your Bible as well, you see the word be subject, wives be subject, but be subject is in italics. That's because it is carried over from verse 20. And so he says we are to be subject, wives are to be subject to who? Your own husbands as to the Lord. Now, Paul is speaking only about a marriage relationship. This isn't all women. You need to be subject to men. Is that what the text is saying? No, it is not. Absolutely, it's not. It's your own. This isn't about general relationships between men and women. This is specifically about a husband-wife marriage relationship. And you do so as to the Lord. Now, submitting, this word does not refer to like absolute control of another, but rather to voluntarily place yourself under the leadership of another person. And so a wife's submission, aligning herself with her husband's shepherding leadership, it is voluntarily. And it is different than like a relationship like between a child and their parent or like slaves and masters. In fact, they're different words, different Greek words. You see in chapter 6, uh, when you talk about children, there's the word obey. That's, not, that's a different word. Or when you see masters, slaves. Submission is different. It is not some sort of mindless, blind, slavish, some sort of submission. It is not subjugation, where it's just a total domination. I want you to know that that is a pagan take on submission. That is not biblical. It is, by the way, one of the reasons why a lot of women are like, I want nothing to do with that word or that concept. Because it is painted as like, man, if I submit, man, I'm just going to be run over. I am going to be destroyed. Submission is not subjugation, but rather it is thriving in the security of a loving covenant relationship. So marriage has complementary roles, just like Christ and the church working together, a beautiful partnership. It is a covenant of love. Truly, it exists with Christ and his church, and that's what marriage is to portray. And that's what it's to be like, a deep-seated, loving, covenant relationship, complementary, working together. If you'd like to see kind of a synonym, look at chapter 5, verse 33, where he kind of gives a summary to everything he's going to say. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife, even as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. So what is submission? Like, we're to give a definition. It is a wife willingly and lovingly placing herself under her husband's leadership, both in actions and in attitude, okay? And so what's happened, though, is that we're like, people are saying, well, actually, this whole idea of submission, husband, like the head of his family, that's that's all rooted in either these patriarchal like leadership uh, context that was found in the New Testament 
or it is rooted in the fall. I want you to know that when sin entered the world, it ruined husbands and how they are to love their wives, and it ruined how wives would follow and lead the leadership of their husbands. That's what happened. For when sin entered the world, so God has, Genesis 2.24, I mean, we already see roles were established, sin enters the world. What happens with husbands? Why, all of a sudden, their heart is going in a very different direction. And that either looks like trying to dominate and rule over their wives, or just kind of this passive, lazy indifference. And when sin entered the world, it took a wife's role, and all of a sudden, either a wife, she just becomes some sort of like uh, losing her intelligent submission. And she's just either fawning over her husband, kind of fearfully so, or just totally disregarding him. I want you to know it's the gospel of grace that brings restoration. It's his word. And by the way, submission is exactly what we see Christ doing. Submitting fully to the Father, Jesus Christ, absolutely equal with God the Father. And yet we see Jesus fully doing, not my will, but your will be done. So when you come to marriage, why marriage is a beautiful partnership, mutually working together, complementary roles coming together in a covenant relationship. And it is beautiful in God's sight. And friends, it is so deeply rewarding when we go God's way. So when you hear of submission, don't think of some sort of like gruff commander just running over and just ruling people. Or some sort of king who could care less about his people and he just dominates them like subjects. Or some sort of CEO that just really cares nothing about his people, just managing them, running over. No, friends, that's not it at all. Christian marriage is meant to be this divinely designed partnership, love, commitment, complementary roles, absolute equals, enjoying one another, doing life together. It is most certainly not some sort of dictatorship. Now, if you're a humanist, you'll only show respect to someone if they earn it or deserve it, right? That's why a God-centered wife has to start with good theology, and that's why we have to go to the Bible. Now, I want you to know that it's in marriage, it's just beautiful working together. Like in my own marriage, I feel so grateful to be married to Karina. And we have this like amazing partnership. It is so good to be able to do life together. And like every marriage, we have to make decisions on a regular basis. We just made one yesterday. It took a long walk. It took five miles, I think, to make that decision. But it's a talking it through and discussing this. And I want you to know I so value my wife's views. There's a lot of times she's spared me a lot of grief by just saying, hey, have you thought about this? Okay, like, oh, well, maybe not so much. And I've even, like, changed what I thought I might do just based on just talking these things over with my best friend. That's what we're to do in marriage. So if Christian marriage is this deep friendship, this partnership, these complementary roles coming together, picturing Christ and the church. Well, what is marital submission? What does it not mean? Well, let me give you some things. It does not mean that the wife is to be passive or surrender all independent thought. It doesn't mean that she'll not disagree or bring something to your attention. I mean, this is a beautiful friendship partnership. 
Christian marital submission does not mean that the husband is going to stifle a wife's creativity, gifts, or individuality. I mean, she has gifts, personality, skills. Guys, you want to make sure you're back next week? But a big part of your role is to help to see your wife thrive. Christian submission does not mean that she cannot develop her own personal ministry. I mean, she's got gifts, skills, could be finance, administration, creativity. You want her to thrive. You don't want to stifle. You don't want to run over your wife. It does not mean that a wife is to enable the sin of her husband. That if you find yourself in a situation where you're just being run over by a psychologically dangerous or a physically abusive man, I want you to know you need to get help and you need to get out. Because this guy is sinning. This isn't, has nothing to do with the biblical text. Because when you see these passages lived out, it's going to look like a whole lot of love and a whole lot of flourishing and thriving. If that's the case... You don't have these passages being lived out. You have sin being manifested, and it needs to be addressed. You see, submission is a wife willingly and lovingly placing herself under her husband's leadership. She feels safe, secure. She's volunteering to do this. It is her choice, and she's making it, and she's thriving because she's going God's way. In her book, The Excellent Wife, Martha Peace, uh, she travels a lot. She's a a famous Christian conference speaker. She does a lot of teaching. In this book, The Excellent Wife, she writes specific ways wives are not submissive. And I want to just give you a few and a little bit of her development. So, for instance, she says a a wife is not submissive when she does this. She is more loyal to others than to her husband. And then she writes, like, this would also entail being more loyal to the kids than to her husband. Do not conspire with your kids to hide secrets from dad. Like, we'll not tell dad what you're doing or this dress that we're buying or that you're hanging out with friends that he does not approve of. Another way, she says, wives are not submissive. She argues or pouts or gives him the cold shoulder when she does not get her own way. Do not do the passive-aggressive thing, giving him the silent treatment when he doesn't do what you want, and showering him with all sorts of glowing attention when he is doing what you want. That is manipulation, not edification. And she also says this, wives are not submissive when she does not stay within the limits of the budget. Or she manipulates him to get her own way. She may manipulate by deceit, tears, begging, nagging, complaining, anger, or intimidation. Wives who use this strategy are not trusting God to change their husbands' lives. They're trusting themselves. I I once heard this, that, uh, all right, okay, so if the husband is the head, well, then the wife, she's the neck, and she's going to turn that little head wherever she wants, right? Just like, we're going to do this now, we're going to do that. Pretty sure that's not what this passage is saying. And then let me give you just one other that Martha Peace writes about specific waves, wives are not submissive. She directly defies his wishes, whether that be with the finances, the kids, or the schedule, or what activity they planned. It's kind of like this. No, I decided we're going to do something different. It's the idea that I'll submit as long as I like the idea. Friends, our culture is reinforcing the idea 
that women, you don't need anyone. This feminist agenda, and I want you to know it is being hard-pressed and driven hard. It says, you don't need anyone. You don't need God, and you most certainly do not need his ways. You pick and choose what you want. I want you to know that if we've got wives, and we do, that are actively seeking God to live this out, friends, I want you to know this is absolutely precious in his sight. And these women are flourishing. And how do you flourish as a godly wife? You want to follow his word. Be filled with the Spirit. Focus on supporting and aligning with your husband's leadership. And let me give you a fourth. Find ways to help him thrive. Just like when we see with Christ, and when, when the church is following his word, being filled with his spirit, when the church is submitting to Christ's lead, there's great exaltation that takes place with Christ. I mean, God's glorified when we do that. I want you to know that with husbands, I want you to know that that brings great joy to them. And you are, you're fulfilling your role. I want you to understand that you have a significant role in the life of your husband. Can I say this? You are one of God's great gifts to your husband. And so if you want to flourish as a godly wife, you want to find ways to help him thrive. And one of the most important ways you can do that is just to encourage him at some point. I want you to know that the silence is deafening. But I also will tell you this, the converse, if you are critical of your husband and you're, you're criticizing him, I, mean, I want you to know that just, just diminishes him. And if you publicly are criticizing your husband, I want you to know it kills him. Have you ladies ever been in a situation where, like, there's a group of ladies talking and, and one lady just opened fires on her husband, you know? I mean, just out there, just napalms him. Just, roll, roll, just, just rolls him over, right? You think that woman, when she goes back home, all of a sudden becomes someone who's loving, enjoyable, pleasant to be around, or respectful? I don't think so. In fact, you could think of it this way. If you can't respect in private, you, you can't re- treat with respect in private someone you do not respect in public. You know, in 1996, a guy by the name of George Strait, one of our good Texas country musicians and singers, he had a hit song It was number one on the charts, and it had this refrain, I know she still loves me, but I don't think she likes me anymore. You know why that was such a big hit? Because it resonated with so many guys. I know exactly what he's talking about and what he's singing about. I want you to know, he knows if you like him, if you love him, if you respect him. If you uh, just do this, if you ever just try to be intentional about encouraging him, if, by the way, if he ever caught you bragging on him publicly, you know, just saying like, I'll tell you what, my husband, he is hardworking, he's godly, Man, he, he's smart. He's a good provider. He loves us well. That's like putting like a million-dollar deposit in his heart. It's going to make a significant difference. And wives, could I 
Should I, can I just give you a little hidden insight? Your husband has very few people that believe in him. He himself questions whether or not he really has what it takes. He's, he sees all the failures. He has a hard time feeling like he even measures up. There's a reason why some guys just kind of bury themselves in that TV just hours and hours and hours. It's like, are you just even, you're like barely there. Why? It's just a way to just kind of remove the distractions of their failures. I want you to know that um, you're God's gift to your husband. It'll do wonders. You have such amazing power. If you'll encourage him, point out just a few ways about how he's doing a good job. I want you to know that if, if a husband knows that his wife believes in him, he becomes unstoppable. Elizabeth George writes, quote, as soon as I stopped thinking about submitting to Jim and started thinking about submitting to the Lord, my struggle to submit slowly began to abate. And early in her book, she wrote of what a huge struggle that was. She said, I sort of mentally set Jim to one side. And that left me staring straight into the Lord's face. Suddenly, the how of submission became much simpler and easier. My submission had nothing to do with Jim and everything to do with the Lord. As a familiar scripture says, whatever you do, including submitting to my husband, do it heartily, as to the Lord and not to men. Colossians 3.23, she writes, emphasis added. What a blessing to apply this scripture to honoring, submitting to, and following Jim. One lady said this, Hey, if you're out of fellowship with your husband, you're probably out of fellowship with God. Is that not the case? And you're like, well, if you're a single and you're seriously thinking that God's calling you to marriage, I want you to know that you personally want to be growing as the role, as, as you see God painting this picture, those qualities in your life. And I also want you to know that if you are dating or looking at another individual, if they're not manifesting these type of qualities as you read the scriptures, especially like the book of Ephesians, if you really are puzzled by how they make decisions or they're overwhelmed and overruled by their emotions and you're like, oh, that's such a terrible decision, I'd encourage you not to marry an individual like that. You might be able to explain it away right now and look the other way like, oh, it'll certainly get better. Ask me a whole different story if you're married to that. I'm trying to help you go with God and his word and his way. But what happens, though, if your husband isn't respectful, right? Or what happens uh, if he's spiritually stagnant or straying or you're married to an unbeliever? I want you to know this is now where a lot of pain is going to be surfacing. What in the world do you do? Well, Peter addresses this in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 2, where he says this, In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. God doesn't call you to make your husband holy. He calls you to love him. And if you're married to an unbeliever, you should still love your husband. He is your husband. If you have children, he's the father of your children. 
Enjoy him. Make the most. Don't get so thrown off that he's not interested in Bible study or going to church with you and you're just living as constant misery. Find Jesus Christ to be your all-sufficient completeness. And you love your husband. Your job is to love your husband. God's job is to change his life. And I want you to know when I'm saying this, I I know some of you are like, this is some of the, the deepest pain in my life. I know that. I see that. And I feel that to a degree. But let's leave these matters with God. If you want some great resources, like focus on the family, family life today, you just go to their website. There's a wealth of material to help you in almost any situation that you could think of. But some of you wives have realized that, you know what? I am basically picking up where his mama left off. You get married and you're like, oh my, oh, what have we gotten into here? You know what I'm saying? And, uh, and that, that is true to a degree. Dr. Laura Schlesinger, she's not a Christian author, but she wrote a book that was, uh, really became wildly famous uh, and popular. It was called The Proper Care and Feeding of Husbands. And she says that it is really easy to be married to a decent man, in fact, to even have a great marriage, if you will provide him with just the three A's, okay? And she reduced it down to three words. You want them? She said the three words were this, acceptance, approval, and affection. You provide those three, that man is going to keep coming, okay? And I, I want you to think about that, acceptance, approval, and affection. In this book, she has a letter written by a guy named Roy. I just want to read you this, this excerpt. This is what Roy writes. The world is full of messages to men that there are standards we don't meet. There is always another man who's more handsome, more viral, and more athletic than we are. None of that matters if the most important person in our life looks up to us, accepts us as we are, and loves us even though we aren't perfect. Maybe there's a part of the small boy that never leaves the grown man. I don't know. All I know is that the husband who has a wife who supports him and praises him for the positive things he does is the envy of all the other men who have to live with criticism, sarcasm, and constant reminders of their failures. Wives, you'll love your husband as an act of your will. It's your choice to make. I want you to, though, think about all of the benefits that come from taking God as word and living in his spirit. Fill your role. I want you to know you're going to have, your best friend is going to be your husband. And when those kids are gone, you're going to find that there's still a deep-seated friendship right there. There is going to be stability for your children and for your family, no matter what age. There's going to be peace in your heart. There's going to be growth in your life. You're going to see God bring about change. I want you to know that you're going to give a watching world perhaps the most powerful testimony of the gospel. And that is a marriage that works in God's strength for God's ways. And by the way, you'll also give your husband an opportunity to thrive and to be everything that he should be. But friends, it is every wife's choice because love is a choice. And that choice is yours. I asked a group of women, what can husbands do to help them fulfill their role? You guys want to listen up. This is what they said. Do not be afraid to make decisions. Volunteer to make the first step. Lead the process. Involve them in the discussion. Don't be overbearing 
or insensitive. And husbands, um, do you, is your wife like trying to make progress on this? No, I, I know that she's not perfect, right? And if, you're, if that's a big struggle for you, think about just how perfect you are, right? No, she's not perfect. But is she trying there? Is she moving forward? Does she know that you are grateful for her? Have you ever thanked God for her? Or do this. Have you ever prayed with your wife and thanked God for her? Does she know that she is precious in your sight? Have you ever told her anything like that? I want you to know that if you've got a wife that's moving in this direction, she is going against the grain of the culture, but I want you to know she's bringing great glory to God and should bring a whole lot of gratitude to your life. Our relationship with Christ, this is what empowers oneness in marriage. Our love and reverence for God and this relationship we have with him, this is what allows us to thrive in our roles. You see, without love, which is a wife's greatest need, she has a tendency to respond without respect. And without respect, a guy's greatest need, he has a tendency to respond without love. See, relationships are designed for much more than our happiness. They are for God's glory and for his people's holiness. And friends, we all fall short, right? All of us do. We all miss the mark. That is why we need a Savior. And I want you to know this. The gospel of grace, the gospel that is portrayed even in marriage, I want you to know even in our failures, and there are many, in those cracks, it is gospel grace shining through. In our commitments, our steps of faith, any time that we are actually actively trusting God, I want you to know God is glorified, and the grace of Christ comes shining through. And know this, we all have tremendous failures. Romans chapter 8, verse 1, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Don't live like a condemned one. Friends, we are absolutely made complete by Christ. You see, a godly wife puts God's grace on display by how she loves and how she lives. And guys, come back next week. I want to make sure you're here because you know what? We have a role to play in these marriages God is building. Let's pray. Lord, thank you.